Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 58 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. I'm here with Bob and Justin. Uh, Both Bob and Justin have just completely upended my entire schedule for the podcast. Um, Welcome. Yeah. I don't know. It's lively. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. All the hard work and effort I've been putting in, the hours of, of prep and reading through, you know, multiple sources, multiple newspapers, calling people up on the phone, going to the library. I went to the public library um, no, I'm joking. Um, so look, all right, look, we were, sp- <laughs> uh, what's happened today? We were recording on Friday, right? And yeah, Bob, yeah. you just hit me with a, with a, I've been knee deep in, in, in uh, screaming children, um, all morning. So I didn't get a chance to like log on to the, <laughs> log on to the interwebs this morning. So what's happening, Bob? Well, there's a huge bombshell article published today by the New York Times. Uh, reporters Charlie Savage, Adam Goldman, Katie Benner, uh, reporting on significant details regarding the John Durham probe of the Russia inquiry. We all are familiar with that. Bill Barr appointed this guy from Connecticut to investigate the investigation. That was the the whole concept behind uh, John Durham. Mm. And in the course of this reporting, uh, Charlie Savage and the other journalists discovered that there was a criminal investigation going on inside the Durham probe that involved both John Durham and Bill Barr. But it wasn't what the administration thought. It wasn't what Fox News thought it was. It turns out uh, John Durham got a tip from Italian officials that there were financial crimes, possible financial crimes, I should say, involving Donald Trump. And so they were investigating Donald Trump (laughs) during a significant portion of the Durham investigation. And the amazing thing about that, uh, Mueller, she wrote, Allison Gillett, Mueller, she wrote, discovered a Fox News headline from October 25th, 2019. that says uh, Durham's investigation into possible FBI misconduct is now a criminal probe. And then the lead is U.S. Attorney John Durham's ongoing probe into potential FBI and Justice Department misconduct in the run up to the 2016 election, blah, 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 blah. Turns out that didn't have anything to do with what Fox News wanted it to be. (laughs) That was entirely about an investigation into Donald Trump. Mm. And so it says here uh, on one of this is according to The New York Times on on one of Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham's trips to Europe, according to people familiar with the matter, Italian officials, while denying any role in setting off the Russia investigation, unexpectedly offered a potentially explosive tip linking Mr. Trump to certain suspected financial crimes. Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham decided that the tip was too serious and too serious and credible to ignore. Now imagine that. Yeah. But rather than assign it to another prosecutor, uh, Mr. Barr and Mr. Durham investigate the matter, investigated the matter himself. There's a typo in there giving him criminal prosecution powers for the first time, even though the possible wrongdoing by Mr. Trump did not fall squarely within Mr. Durham's assignment to scrutinize the origins of the Russia inquiry, the people said. Yeah, Mr. that's Durham, a big deal right there. That's a <laughs> yeah. huge deal right there. 
He had yep. nothing to do with his investigation, and they still gave it to him anyway. That's right. So bullshit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Exactly. Mr. Durham never filed charges, and it remains unclear what level of an investigation it was, what steps he took, what he learned, and whether anyone at the White House ever found out. The extraordinary fact that Mr. Durham opened a criminal investigation that included scrutinizing Mr. Trump has remained secret until now. So weird. So many fascinating uh, uh, angles to this. And the piece goes on into other kind of juicy details about the Durham campaign or the Durham investigation. And uh, a lot of them include, you know, members of the investigation resigning and so on. But this Italy angle is enormous and should be a much bigger story. And obviously, as I said, raises all kinds of additional questions like where's Merrick Garland on this? Is there an effort to pick this up possibly? Or have they looked at the allegations and probably looked at memos issued by uh, uh, John Durham and maybe determined that there was nothing there and it's not worth picking up again. But who knows? I'd love to know the details of what these allegations are, and I wonder if we'll ever find out. And honestly, if it was that big of a deal that it forced Barr and Durham to look into it, yeah. it's, not, it's not that small. It's, it's, it's got to be big enough that there's something there, especially, mm-hmm. you know, Trump. You know there's something there because all he is is a fucking criminal. He doesn't go to the bathroom without it being a fucking crime. Mm -hmm. He just can't. He can't do anything without it being illegal because, like, if he were to do anything on the level, he would consider that doing it wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, they have to look into this. And when they find that it was all sorts of criminal and that it was buried by his fucking conciliary, fucking uh, William Barr, they have to investigate him, too, because this is fucking yeah. ridiculous at this point. And it's, it's, it's always ridiculous. It's always important too, and this goes back to reporting we all did in 2013 surrounding the Edward Snowden revelations. It's important to take um, a skeptical look at the reporting that you're reading, even if it comes from a reputable source, even if it comes from a paper of record. It's important to remain critical as you read through these things, because how this part of this article concludes is a fascinating look into how the press covers things. So I was talking about how there was news that got out in October of 2019 that uh, there was a criminal investigation happening within Durham's office. And news reports, it says here, news reports, however, were all framed around the erroneous assumption that the criminal investigation must mean Mr. Durham had found evidence of potential crimes by officials involved in the Russia inquiry. But Mr. Barr, who weighed in publicly about the Durham inquiry at regular intervals in ways that advanced a pro-Trump narrative, chose in this instance not to clarify what was really happening. Mm. And what was really happening is Donald Trump was being investigated. Yeah, we don't want wow. to talk about that. Got to keep wow. that quiet. Incredible. So, Lou, this, this, this is going to tie into what we're covering in the emergency meeting later 
uh, where we find <laughs> out that the <clears throat> the Russia collusion story. Remember that whole Russian collusion hoax that Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald have yeah. been. Yeah. Oh, this whole, has not been a good week for Matt Taibbi. Yeah, no, it's not been it really a good week for Matt Taibbi. So it turns out the Russia collusion story. We have uh, more evidence that the Russian collusion story is actually true because a former senior FBI official accused of working for uh, <laughs> has been accused of working for a Russian. He investigated and taking money from him. So mm-hmm. we'll get into that in the emergency meeting because this is a big this is a big story in of itself. Uh, not hot, weirdly not surprising. Um, you know, I, I find myself now uh, <clears throat> convinced that the Russia collusion story is more true than ever. But uh, we're going to get into that in, 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 in the emergency meeting. But look, this new report on, um, you know, criminality within in the Trump administration that was was so, what strikes me, right, is that it was so rampant that his own hand-picked um, DOJ uh, bar was essentially incapable of performing his fu- his functions without investigating Trump because there was so mm-hmm. much criminality. Yeah. Right? So, like every time they start an investigation into something, like oh shit, like Trump's done something as well. So we need to we need to look into that and how they tried to sweep it under the carpet and how they basically, you know, you remember at the the end of the whole Russia collusion um, investigation where uh, Barr just said, yeah, there's nothing there, um, and which told you, tells you that, of course, there was something there. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. And in fact, there's a, a brief paragraph in this New York Times piece regarding the whole notion of collusion with Russia. It says here, Mr. Trump would repeatedly portray the Mueller report as having found no collusion with Russia, quote unquote. The reality was more complex. In fact, the report detailed, quote, numerous links between the Russian government and the Trump camp which is something that we all knew. And it established both how Moscow had worked with, uh, had worked to help Mr. Trump win and how his campaign had expected to benefit from the foreign interference. Mm -hmm. So I I like how the New York Times frames this as being, well, it's not a matter of no collusion. There actually was collusion. It's just, it didn't rise to the level of charges coming from Mueller. And I think that's what, uh, pardon the language. That's what cock blocked the Mueller report. Mm. Is the fact that he didn't really bring charges that combined with the uh, Bill Barr letter shortly after he took office. Right. So look, we're going to move one of the stories that we were, we were going to talk about because there's been another. <laughs> there's been a, the, the James O'Keefe uh, Project Veritas story, right? Oh, yeah. Another another breaking news story. So look, we're going to quickly. Um, talk today about first of all Trump being back on Facebook we'll briefly go into Kevin McCarthy kicking off um, Sheaf and Swalwell off the House Intelligence Committee uh, and then we have our both sides um, segment that we're going to go, go into but we need to talk about this Project Veritas yeah yeah uh, no, so that that thing is that thing is insane yeah so this, this, is, this was- is truly crazy this is really crazy and it so okay, Justin, you, you go ahead on this one. You've been you've been uh, yeah, down the so, rabbit hole here. Yeah. So um, so uh, what what wait was it? Oh my god, it feels it feels like a billion years ago. Was it yesterday they did this? No, it was the night before. Yeah, I, the news. I I thought the news came down yesterday. That's when I saw it. So they they posted a video of a guy who claiming to be Jordan Tristan with an O at the end Walker. Uh, the Pfizer Director of Research and Development, Strategic Operations, and MRNA Scientific Planning. And he has a video of him 
um, he's supposed to be on a date with somebody or something like that. And he's kind of drunk, allegedly. And he's bragging about how they're tinkering around with the with the virus. And, you know, now what he's talking about is that they're they're screwing around with it so they can figure out what kind of variants they may be dealing with down the road, blah, blah, blah. Now, the way that it's being portrayed by Project Veritas is that they're tinkering around with the virus so they can release it out into the wild and just keep making vaccines forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? So it's a big, horrible conspiracy that you would find on like a cheesy USA um, movie of the week or something like that. Um, and there's a video, it's a second video of this guy of them like going, haha, we got you, we're Project Veritas, and the guy freaking out and attacking James O'Keefe and grabbing his iPad and smashing it and blah, 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 and calling the cops. And it, the whole thing is just like completely, totally bonkers. Now, the problem is, is that this guy does not appear to work for Pfizer. Um, they can't seem to verify that he works for Pfizer. There's, there's, no, there's no information. No one can find anything showing that he works for them or has ever worked for them. There's some information online, but it keeps disappearing, and they can't get any solid data. They can't get anything. Pfizer has not put out a thing saying, yeah, this guy works for us. They haven't put out anything at all. Um, a, a couple of news organizations wrote up something about the story, and then they pulled it within hours. And they don't generally do that sort of thing unless there's something really, really wrong with the story. Like media organizations don't pull stories unless they're really, really bad. Um, and right now, when you Google this, you can only find it mostly on like junkie sites and, of course, right wing sites. They're all the right wing is all over this, and everyone else is like, mm, I don't know if we're going to touch this. For like a good 20 hours, Google wasn't putting anything up because everything was just getting yanked left and right. So I, we don't know who this guy is yet. We don't know what his real name is. We don't know who he, like, we don't know if he works for Pfizer in any way, shape, or form. As far as we can tell, this guy punked Project Veritas, and they didn't do their due diligence in vetting this story, and they just rushed it out because it fed every narrative that they want. It, it, this, is the, this is the thing that they've been dying to expose, and they just rushed it out without verifying with Pfizer that this guy is actually their director of research and development. And if this ends up being what it appears that they got they got punked, they're screwed because Pfizer's going to sue them out of existence. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that it came from Project Veritas should sound. I mean, I you know I've over long experience, many many years of seeing this nonsense. You learn to ignore it. Uh, I, I always assume the worst of anything coming out of one of these insane right wing websites. You just assume it's bullshit, or they've they've misled people with a headline or, you know, the story is not what they claim it to be, but that's, this is a very serious mistake. Very, very serious mistake. And you do not like, look, here's the thing, right? It's, it's with, with a company like Pfizer, um, that you can be pro vaccine and pro what Pfizer does. And also realize that Pfizer is a, a kind of a, a nasty corporation as well. Right. With, um, <laughs> and then with, with profits in mind and they are going, yes, yeah, Justin, I think you're right. They're going to sue the living daylights out of them. If they believe it hurts their brand, that that's a, that's a death knell for them. No, no doubt about it. Right. Pfizer is not going to mess around with this at all. 
Yeah, um, Project Veritas is always like, we're a legitimate media organization. You have to treat us that way. We're protected by the First Amendment. It was like, that means I have to play by certain rules. And this is not that. This is not one of them, right. I mean, it goes into the, this goes into my both sides pick this week. But the, the, the disinformation that's flowing around Twitter now, I wrote this big investigative report on this last week about vaccine disinformation, um, specifically on Twitter. And, it, and it's pretty sort of devastating that this stuff can get like what is what's that saying about a, a lie can get halfway around the world and well the before the truth gets its shoes on gets its yeah. shoes yep. on, right so the damage has been done so you've got every half-baked right-wing nut job they, they've shared this stuff it's flooded twitter uh i'm sure elon musk was was uh thought this was great i i, I want to see whether he's retweeted it i haven't i haven't seen yet but there are some other prominent people who have re- retweeted it but it just goes to show that that we're in a, this this gigantic war of, of information at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and the battle against this stuff, against right wing disinformation, is more severe than ever. I've never seen it this bad, um, other than maybe the Trump administration. But you knew then that at least Twitter and Facebook were taking it seriously. They were taking disinformation quite seriously then. Um, and look, and this kind of leads into our next segment that we were talking about, Bob. Your piece this week about Facebook. Right, Facebook yes. has reinstated Trump. Yeah. So, I mean, your point in all of this, Bob, was that this is, you know, what do you have to do now to get kicked off of these social media channels? Right. You, you're, <laughs> you can start an insurrection. You can try to overthrow the government, but then you yeah. get re- reinstated on Facebook. Yeah, if you share the same article across several different pages, that's how uh, Facebook will kick you off. <laughs> <laughs> but inciting an insurrection, inciting yeah, yeah. a violent invasion and occupation of Congress, that's fine. You get a two-year slap on the wrist, and then you move on. You get your mm. uh, account back. That's apparently how Meta works. I mean, the centerpiece of this uh, article I wrote this week uh, surrounds this notion that Facebook believes that it will develop an algorithm or some sort of guardrails, as they call it, that will prevent Donald Trump from doing this again, that will immediately delete any sort of tweets that have to do with invading the Capitol or orchestrating a coup or whatever. Uh, They call it crisis policy protocol. And that's why it's taken a couple of weeks to uh, fully revive Donald Trump's accounts, because they need to put this uh, back-end programming in place. The problem is, though, that there aren't any algorithms that will uh, weed out what Trump primarily does, which is to incite his fanboys. I mean, everything that he posts or used to post on Twitter, used to post on Facebook, but now posts on Truth Social is intended to incite his fanboys into action. He doesn't use uh, overt language. He doesn't he uses coded language, according to Michael Cohen, and we've all seen it. You know, he may not come right out and say, all right, well, that election was rigged. So now go and invade the uh, election offices and overturn the election by invading Congress. He doesn't outright say that. But everything I mean, there was that obviously his speech on January 6th where he said, we're going to march down there together and we're going to fight like hell. Obviously, that was a thing, but that's not something he posted on social media necessarily. So um, the problem is that Donald Trump's very presence on social media is what's damaging to democracy. 
That's what's damaging to the future of the Republic. And I, I refer to it as, as routinely screwy, ungainly, destructive meltdowns aimed at institutions and elections alike. All you have to do is read what he writes on a regular basis, read, follow what he says at his rallies to understand what his M.O. is. And mm. that's something you can't invent an algorithm, as I was saying before, you can't invent an algorithm that uh, that uh, eliminates him just being him. You know what I mean? And it's the very practice of him being him that's causing such a problem for the future of democracy here. Right. And it's it's fundamentally I think it's just wrong. I just think it's like, you don't. why are we rewarding this guy? Like every all the institutions keep appear to reward this guy for lying, cheating, um, you know, yeah. trying to overthrow the government, for example. Right. He gets treated with kid gloves by by everybody. Right. And I think it goes into our basically the kind of main thesis, I would say, that we have at the banter is that there are there aren't two sides. Mm -hmm. Right. That, you know, the the right and the left are not the same, that um, you can't have civilized discussion in this country between the two sides because there aren't two sides. There's a fucking batshit, crazy, insane fascist uprising going on and all the institutions are busy falling over themselves um, trying to claim that, you know, this guy's legitimate, right? Like, this just legitimizes him as a person. Like, the whole t the debate on Twitter, you can see with the executives, the yeah. Twitter files, right, about what, what do we do about this guy who's inciting an insurrection, uh, a, a violent insurrection? What what do we do about this? And they took, yeah, the, yeah. I, I, he took the right decision. They took the right decision. They kicked him off the platform. Facebook took the right decision. They kicked him off the platform. But now we've just forgotten about all of that. That it's okay now. Now he's been rehabilitated and he's you know back in the public eye. He's relaunched his presidential campaign. Uh, you know he's under like multiple criminal investigations. But mm -hmm. hey, you know, yeah. Well, I mean that's well, the just a, that's just a coddling of like you know extremist white men in this country. White conservative white men in this country are always coddled. Always, always, always. It doesn't yeah. matter what they say, what they do, who they hurt. They can always be forgiven because it's never really their fault. It's it's just, you know, it's like we can't be hard on them because, you know, if we're that mean to them, it's just going to make them worse or it's going to make them angry. And, and we always treat them like, like a battered spouse, like yeah. a battered wife. It's like, don't make them angry. Otherwise, they're going to do horrible things to us. It's like, they're already doing horrible things to us. Maybe it's time to do something about that. Right. Yeah. Here's the, here's the thing. And this is, I think, every conversation about Donald Trump has to boil down to this, ultimately. I mean, taken, drawn out to its first, you know, end result, you have to draw this conclusion that... Donald Trump understands, and I think the people who immediately surround him in his inner circle, Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller, some of the others, Rudy Giuliani, they understand that the system isn't equipped to be able to handle someone like Donald Trump. Right. And it never has been. I've been talking about this since 2015 when he first decided to run and started just completely disrupting how presidential campaigns operate. And that is that... Um, there are traditions and unwritten rules about how American politics function. And there always have been, I, you know, you could call it a flaw in our system, but it's, it is the way it is. Uh, we do have these boundaries established for especially presidential level politicians. And 
historically, if you were to put one toe outside those boundaries, the entire system might crash down on you. However, if you go all the way, if you bash through those boundaries, as I've been comparing it to the Kool-Aid man, you just break right through the wall and knock the whole goddamn thing down. There's nothing really the system is prepared for to be able to respond to that. We don't know how to respond to a sitting president who ordered his civilian militia to invade the Capitol in a overall coup effort. Right. I mean, there's, there's, we're not we're not designed to be able to police someone who talks the way Donald Trump does um, on a public platform or abuses the bully pulpit the way Donald Trump has. It's just not there, whether it's uh, journalism, whether it's public response, whether it's how people vote, whether it's how the justice system operates, whether it's the Department of Justice or state level governments, it's only come down to after he's been president, that a few people have stepped up Mm. to fill that gap. But by and large, we just don't have the system set up to be able to handle him. And they have exploited that at every turn. They understand, like Steve Bannon's whole thing about flooding the zone, the signal and the noise, and all that shit that he always says, that he always repeats. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. The system isn't designed for someone who is constantly flooding the zone with madness. So uh, much like um, you ever see the movie Awakenings, where they talk about how Dr. Sayer is trying to cure these uh, catatonic patients and discovers that it's Parkinson's tremors drawn out to their most extreme that actually uh, presents itself as being catatonia. When in fact, it's Parkinson's tremors to the point of of being completely paralyzed. And that's what happens. If you draw things out in the public discourse, the whole system becomes fully paralyzed and incapable of adequately reacting. Because, you know, we think, about well, the First Amendment, oh, well, you know, if if they do this, then as you were saying, Justin, you know, if we do this, if we investigate this guy and if we draw uh, indictments against this guy, then they're going to do that to us. And then again and again and again, I'm sure that's what Merrick Garland's thinking about the long term political ramifications of a Donald Trump indictment. How is that going to change the dynamics of presidential politics and subsequent investigations into prior presidents and so on. And and what happens is all that thought about what if, what if, what if, you know, turns those tremors into catatonia. And that's how the system gets flummoxed by Donald Trump. I, I mean, hope look, that made sense. It, it makes perfect sense, Bobby. It makes okay. absolutely perfect sense. What, what you, what you're saying the scenario you're describing is exactly what happened with the Weimar Republic in Germany yeah. uh, and, the, and the rise of the, of the, of the Nazi party, right? Yep. The, 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 the parallels are uncanny, right? So, you know, we get a lot of shit sometimes for being, you know, orange man bad and everything's bad about Trump and, you know, this is freaking Well, you know why? Because that's life. fucking true. Because it's, because <laughs> Everything it's true. is bad about Donald well, Trump. There's nothing redeemable about Donald right. Trump. And, and Everything if, he does is damage. Yes, and if you if you know your history, if you if you particularly listen, just read about Nazi Germany. Read about what happened with the rise of the Nazi Party and how they were essentially laughed at in the beginning, regarded as a complete joke. 
and then um, the old the conservative the conservative party believed that they could co-opt these uh, the Nazis because they were all stupid and they weren't you know they weren't serious and they were a bunch of thugs and you know they'd be able to control them once they were in power right mistake 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 uh, and then hit, that, that's what Hitler banked on Hitler banked on these guys not doing shit. He knew that they were, he had this, you know, that was one of the sort of apparently Hitler's major skills was this sort of feral sense of of, of others' weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Trump has as well. You know, say what you want about Trump, about how he's stupid. He is stupid, but he does sense, he's very, very good at exploiting people's weaknesses. He knows when people are full of shit or like when they're weak, when they won't, they're not willing to stand up to him. Right, Trump is exceptionally good at that. That's how he's managed to bully his way to the top. Um, you know, am I saying that Trump is a Nazi? I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Right? There are, you know, or, there are obvious differences. Right? But the movement that around him and the people that are involved in it, they're not that far off. Right? Not even they, a little. <laughs> they're not even. They're, they're really not that far off. They're much closer than I would like right that i i'm comfortable with uh and and this is how the german system broke right this mm-hmm. is how the conservatives were essentially smashed um and so essentially exposed as being kind of weak and pathetic it's like the gop it's like mitch mcconnell all of these republicans who 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 uh were denouncing trump in 2015 and then all got on board they all saddled up to him when he was in power and they all kissed the ring, all of them, right? Other than, you know, Mitt Romney and John McCain, right? There were a few prominent never-Trump Republicans. But by and large, they all, the, the, the whole party just caved. And when the party caves, that means the system itself, Bob, as you were saying, the system itself um, begins to cave too because they are, these people make up the institutions, right? right. You, you, You've got, like, you know, I mean, that was the whole thing with the investigations into Hillary and, and Trump. And it was, you know, both sides are just as bad. And we need to investigate Hillary Clinton because, you know, we have to have the long term viability of the FBI as an institution. You can see why Comey sort of did that. But I think that they historically didn't understand what they were dealing with and how dangerous this stuff was and how close we we came an absolute disaster in 2021, you know, with January 6th. Like, this could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. I mean, luckily, Trump is a, he is a buffoon. Right? He couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery. <laughs> right? and, and, and this is, this is a, a, one of the great British sayings, by the way. Like, <laughs> can't organise a piss-up in a brewery. Uh, so we, we, we kind of escaped that, but I, it doesn't bode well for for the future, I think. You know, mm-hmm. and and... I know we're, we, you know, this isn't on topic or anything like that, but the the, the Trump threat is not over, right? It's not no. over, right? He, this is. I feel like he's starting where he sort of did in 2015, where he's regarded as a joke again, right? But who's going to stand up to him? Who's going to stand up to him? Yeah. Right? The Our savior, Bar- Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Ooh. No. 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 Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Ron DeSantis is is a coward. Right, Ron DeSantis. I don't think he's going to run personally. I don't think Ron DeSantis is not going to run. Why? Why would he? Why? Why would he get chopped to pieces by Donald Trump? Right? He'll set the maggots on him, um, and and he'll create. A, it'll be a giant bloodbath. Ron DeSantis is probably thinking, "Well, I don't need that. I'll wait." 
Right. And, so, and, and, and you know as well as anyone, uh, Ben and Justin, that uh, Facebook's decision, Meta's decision regarding allowing Donald Trump back on Facebook and Instagram is actually going to severely damage the other Republican candidates in the 24 primary. Because it's 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 basically, you know, we always use the analogy of a monkey with a machine gun. Meta just gave Donald Trump his machine gun back. And and now he can use that platform, that machine gun, so to speak, as a way to blast the other Republican candidates. Yeah, and he might not be on Twitter. He might not be on Twitter, but his yeah. people are on Twitter. His disinformation. Oh, right, right. But, but he, you know, he will Twitter. be. He will be on Facebook, though. And yeah. what do we know? We know that at least the way it used to be, Facebook is a huge driver of traffic, driver of influence, and Trump will exploit it. And Trump will, uh, so to speak, walk between the raindrops. He will find a way around their fucking rules, their new guardrails for him. Mm. So he will continue to do damage. And the great irony of all of this is, is that uh, if Donald Trump has his way and his plan results in him becoming this authoritarian president, this worst case scenario, what are the first groups of people he'll start arresting <laughs> are the people who run the social media platforms. Because no matter what they do for Donald Trump, the word from the Red Hat Entertainment Complex will continue to be, oh, big tech is fucking us over again. It doesn't matter what big tech actually does. It's like the press. You know, Chuck Todd can stack every episode of Meet the Press with predominantly conservative Republican men. And it doesn't matter. They're still going to scream about the liberal media and how they're the enemies of the people. So the same thing's going to happen with Donald Trump. It doesn't matter what Facebook does. They will, given the opportunity, a Donald Trump dictatorship will result in the arrests of meta staffers, Twitter staffers, who knows, even maybe even Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and the rest. Certainly Jeff Bezos is on Donald Trump's shit list. Yeah, all take is one unflattering word and suddenly they'll yeah. be the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's they're already there. You know, they're already being targeted. So and and again, they're actually empowering the potential for their own demise. Well, look, let's move on to the um, Kevin McCarthy, who is now House Speaker, something just, just, right? <laughs> but, but, I mean, the news week, obviously, is the House Intelligence Committee, right? Which is, mm-hmm. this is not a good, this is not good, right? This is, this, this is not good. He, he kicked off um, Chief and Swalwell from the committee. Who knows what they're going to ignore, and who knows what they what kind of rabbit holes they're going to go down, right? And and there was a a particularly shocking story this week with um, Kevin McCarthy he said she, he's forged an uh, ironclad bond with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Okay, good, so good lord. So this <laughs> is this is this is a report. Okay, this came out in um, uh, this is in the New York Times said. Days after he won his gavel in a protracted fight with the hard-right Republicans, Speaker Kevin McCarthy gushed to, his, gushed to a friend about the ironclad bond he had developed with an unlikely ally in his battle for political survival, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. I will never leave that woman, McCarthy 
uh, told the friend, who described the private conversation on the condition of anonymity. I will always take care of her. Okay. Wow. Yes. This is, I think this is quite scary, right? How do you see this playing out now? I mean, I know he's got an incredibly, um, incredibly slim majority in the house, but he's still enough of a majority and enough leverage to do damage. Not well. I mean, Green yeah. is not, well, she's not very bright and she's super ambitious and that's never a good combination. So yeah. she's I mean, going to run amok and she's going to self-destruct. But look, he's, he, you know, this is a report in the Washington Post that McCarthy, he's seated uh, George Santos in multiple House committees while he's removed Adam Schiff from the intelligence panel, right, that he's led for the past four years. Um, it, the report continues, the full House would have to vote if Mr. McCarthy forges ahead with plans to expel Representative um, Ilhan Omar uh, from the Foreign Affairs Committee, but the Speaker has the power to unilaterally block members from the intelligence panel. Just because Mr. McCarthy has the power, however, doesn't mean he should have used it, which is, of co- like, of course he shouldn't have used it, right? The, the guy is not responsible at all, particularly who he he's now controlled by. But this story that he's essentially been, you know, he has an ironclad bond and he's buddy-buddy with Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is like, you know, how is... How have we gone from Sarah Palin? Everyone freaking out about Sarah Palin, right? That was that was terrible in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, the you know, we everybody was shocked by the emergence of Sarah Palin as a force in American politics. Now we have the Speaker of the House, controlled by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who believes in Jewish space lasers, and she's a nine eleven truther and a QAnon conspiracy theorist. Well, we this, is, this, is just a, this is just a continuing degeneration of the Republican Party into just a complete fucking madhouse of morons and grifters. And just it's just there's there's nothing left that you can consider an actual political party. There just isn't like we better pray for the next two years that nothing serious happens because they will be absolutely in fucking capable of getting anything done. The the Republican Party now, and by extension, the Red Hat Entertainment Complex, is about one thing. Content, content, content. Mm. It's about downloads, ratings, engagement, and the outrage that fuels all of that. Christ, they've That's, turned into addicting info. <laughs> <laughs> That's the central thrust of oh, the Republican Party. has nothing to do with policy. Insofar as they talk about policy, the only reason they do is to stir up the things that I just mentioned. It's entirely about entertainment now. Um, It's entirely about one thing, red meat. They only ever throw red meat because they know that's what activates their people. And actually doing anything that's worthwhile, problem solving. I mean, I'm talking about actual problems, not made up problems like trans people in bathrooms. Made up problems. But we're going to tackle that or uh, the uh, different kinds of cartoon M&Ms. Has nothing to do with policy. Just has nothing to do with outrage. They literally said this before they took power. They said that, you know, actual governing is not their priority. It's going to be in the investing. And they said this. It's like an actual quote. Shit, I don't have it in front of me. But they actually said out loud that, you know, they're expected to do investigations into Hunter Biden and to COVID and actually governing is not on their list of priorities. And it's like, but you're 
the, you're running the house. Your actual job is to fucking govern, not to just sit there and make sound bites for Fox News so Tucker Carlson can whip a bunch of moron white nationalists into a frenzy of rage. But that's what their job is now. That's it's what wild. they do. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I I don't know. I I hope that this plays out well for the Democrats in the long run, but you never know. You never know. With all these decisions going on, with, with Trump being reinstated on Facebook and Elon's Twitter and the, the insane disinformation that's now been taken seriously by lots of people, uh, this is things are looking slightly... Yeah, I don't know. I'm concerned. I am well, concerned. I'm the, always the concerned, thing, but I'm more concerned now. The thing <laughs> that worries me about this is, like, we had two years, right, of Democrats in the House, and they were serious. They got a lot of work done. They buckled down. They did their shit. You know, they, they didn't, like, do lots of crazy drama. And then you're going to have two years of, like, a freak show. And two years from now, the press is going to be like, well, who could say which was better? I mean, both had their extremes, and that's what we're going to see. That's the press is going to be seeing. We don't know which side is worse or which side is better. We we can't choose. We can't make a judgment call. I'm like, you're making a judgment call right now by saying both sides are the same. That's a judgment call, and they're going to fucking do that. They're just going to look back at two years and say, well, you know, we made an awful lot of money from writing lots of easy headlines, so – Really, we don't know which is better, except they know which is better for them and which they prefer. So, look, let's take that as a cue to go into our both sides segment. Right? That's good. Both sides. <laughs> Justin, who's your oh, pick this week? I have a particularly special piece of shit this, uh, this week. Now, um, you may be familiar with this person. I, I, I kind of remember him, but I was like, oh, this guy. I haven't heard about him in a while. His name's Jeff Younger. He's a, so far, failed Republican candidate from Texas who made the news a few years ago because during his messy divorce, he accused his wife of chemically, chemically castrating their transgender daughter, who he refuses to acknowledge as a girl, and he constantly deadnames her, okay? The right held him up as a victim hero, and he's turned that into a career pushing hate, as so many pieces of shit do. And how does one do that? on the right these days. So uh, allow me, allow me to uh, share what it is that he's doing. Excuse me. So he's, um, he's still writing, but he has a blog and he's doing his thing. So he put out a tweet a couple of days ago, um, Jeff Younger, Texas, uh, single women are mostly responsible for the leftward jolt in American politics. What should be done about that? Women's suffrage moved the country to the left. This is a couple of tweets. No, no other model could explain the leftward tilt of American politics. Um, it's primarily women who are driving the uh, movement to trans kids, for example. The political power of single women, especially single mothers, must be diminished in order to regain traditional values, traditional family, and to reestablish social order. So basically women should just be stripped of their rights and their right to vote and all of that fun stuff. And at one point, someone challenged him on that. It's like, women are doing just fine without you. And it's like, oh, but that's okay. It'll just take one crisis and you'll be crying in your ponytails, uh, pigtails for a, for a man to come save you again. It's like, holy shit. Just the, the, the amount of misogyny just flowing forth from this guy mm-hmm. and just saying it out loud. I mean, this is how the right thinks. 
they don't always express it quite this bluntly. So it's called scary. It's kind of scary how this, how free these people are now with their vile misogyny. That yeah, this I, is I, what I, you saw ten years ago in the men's right activism. Um, this is like this was the MRA movement ten years public, ago, right? Not in public. Like this right. is crazy. This was fringe stuff ten years ago, and now it's mainstream on the right. Yeah, it, this it, is it really, this is what it is. It really is. I mean, look, I'll go my my both sides segment. My both sides piece is not um quite as dramatic as that, but it's Do- Dr. Jordan Peterson, who's been a, a, a huge friend of the pod. Yeah, friend of the pod, Jordan Peterson, who's been propagating extreme right-wing conspiracy theories on Twitter for the past. Ever since Elon Musk has reinstated his Twitter account, uh, Peterson has been back doing his uh, doing his angry tele- televangelist act um, in, in sort of bra- at breakneck speed. This was so he retweeted. Uh, so he retweeted the James O'Keefe video, right? This is, um, of course, he did. Right, so, this, so this was. I was going to do something else. He 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 said, but I'm going to do this instead. So he said, saying the quiet, quiet part out loud. James O'Keefe tweets, um, "Video now blowing up the internet. Pfizer director on camera saying they're all they are mutating COVID nineteen virus to increase infectiousness. Unreal." Uh, quote. That is not what we say to the public. Quote. People won't like that. Quote, don't tell anyone. This is the this is the guy that nobody knows whether they're <laughs> nobody knows who he is or like what he's doing, right? Um, but Jordan Peterson t- retweeted it and said, saying the quiet part out loud. This is a major figure on the right. I don't. I'm sure people, you know, anybody who's on Twitter uh, will understand or on you know has any sort of. A tab on what who's important in the right wing kind of grifter sphere. It's Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Elon Musk, um, to a certain extent, uh, Joe Rogan. But these are the sort of the kind of and Ben Shapiro, right? I would say those are probably the kind of major intellectual heavyweights on the right at the moment. Jordan Peterson has that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is kind of scary. He has three point seven million followers on Twitter. Okay, and he's retweeting James O'Keefe tweets about fight. Do you know how many people he could kill doing this kind of thing? Right yeah, about vaccinations. Yeah. About now he they're, they're uh, he's spreading vaccine disinformation on Twitter. He's also spreading climate change disinformation as well. Um, he shared like a, a a chart about global warming that was like thirty five years out of date and had like half of it cut off. Um, so this is this is the the right. You know, preeminent intellectual. This is this is who they're looking to for uh, sources of information um, and intellectual stimulation, and it's absolutely terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying that this guy is a climate change denier. Number one, and number two, he's retweeting complete scam artists like James O'Keefe, and essentially what he's doing is dissuading people from getting vaccinated, from getting COVID vaccine. It's crazy. Like that's not accept. Absolutely not acceptable. So anyway, there's my there's my choice for the week. It's Jordan Peterson. Yeah, both sides are not the same. Both sides do not engage in this kind of stuff. What major left wing intellectual is out there on Twitter spreading anti vax misinformation? Jimmy Dore, <laughs> super super <laughs> yeah, progressive. Right. Jimmy Dore, exactly. Yeah, Jimmy Dore, He's the most yeah. progressive progressive who ever progressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Dore. I mean, look, there are some on the the grifter, but no one prominent, right? There's no one. Yeah, but he's like... not a real leftist. He's not even. Re- he's a, he's a freaking Republican. Yeah, he just won't old... put on the fucking red hat yet. He's that's all. Left, that's it. Alt right. 
yeah, he he really he straddles that gap between the alt left and the alt right. Anyway, that's my pick, Bob. All right, well, I'm going with Matt Walsh once again. Podcaster Matt Walsh. He's part of the Daily Wire network of podcasts that's uh, run by the aforementioned Ben Shapiro. And, and Jordan Pe- and has Jordan Peterson is 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 one of, is part of that whole crew as well. He's on the Daily Wire. Yes, exactly. And by the way, uh, self-proclaimed theocratic fascist. I mean, he might be sarcastic about that, but that's what that's what he calls himself. Not really, though. Bio. They just uh, say they're joking. They always, whenever they yeah. say they're joking, they're not. Exactly, and that's the whole uh, gist of this tweet that I'm about to read, or a couple of tweets. He shared uh, a video of homeless people in. I believe Arizona and it's a video that was originally shared by Carrie Lake. 1.3 million views of, uh, you know, this exploitative video of homeless people just on the sort of gathering on the sidewalk and so on. And he writes, people are scandalized that I, that I advocated harsh punishments for criminals like in Singapore where they execute criminals summarily in Singapore. My critics are right. Much better to be tolerant of drugs and crime so that every American city looks like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. This is working out great. We wouldn't want to execute the people who've turned our cities into a zombie film. That would be mean. Let's keep them alive so that our communities can be unlivable, disgusting hellscapes. Great plan, guys. So he's calling for the execution of homeless people. Wow. That's Matt Walsh's solution to this problem. Just he's kill a theocratic. Them. He's a Christian. He's yes. saying he's a Christian and he should kill the homeless. This is That's like, I mean, didn't Jesus call for that? I mean, isn't Holy that all crap. over the That's New Testament? Jesus amazing. wanting to murder uh, homeless people, people who are disadvantaged, people who are uh, you know living in poverty and so on. Yeah, of course. That's what Jesus was all about. Well, that's in the new Bible, right? Trump 316? <laughs> that which you do to the least of my brothers. Well, what you do is you actually execute them. Um, and... <laughs> My concern here is not that there will be some sort of Republican policy of summarily executing extrajudiciously homeless people. My concern is that people who listen to Matt Walsh will take it upon themselves to execute homeless people. Start going to some of these areas where homeless people have gathered and just opening fire. I mean, who cares? They're just homeless people. They're clearly subhuman. They don't have human rights or constitutional rights like, you know, normals, like regular, like Matt Walsh has. Hmm. So let's execute them. So Matt Walsh has gone from endangering hospitals, hospital staff, doctors, children to endangering homeless people. Obviously, this is not something that happens on the left. You know, he used to watch bump fights and masturbate, right? (laughs) Is that true? Are you making that up? Well, you know it. No, but oh, you can't, just, I, you're I, assuming. I promise you. I promise <laughs> okay. you. He used to watch bump fights and mess. Ben, yeah. you know about bump fights, right? Yeah, yeah. sadly, I do. It was this yeah. disgustingly exploitative. Oh my god! Uh, you know he used to watch that and have such a fucking stiffy. Ugh, he's just that type of person. He he, he really is a repellent human being. And again, like you know, this these are not fringe characters in the right. These are not fringe characters in in right-wing intellectuals they are the right-wing intellectuals i forgot to say that my that matt walsh is part of you know him and ben shapiro and jordan peterson and um they're all you know part of the daily wire now and that that's what appears to be the you know what makes up the the vanguard of um right-wing intellectualism right now 
uh, and they're calling for the execution of homeless people. That's great. That's really great to know. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, um, just nothing zero like understanding what's causing this. Obviously, the only reason uh, Matt Walsh gives a shit about homeless people is it feeds into this ongoing. Oh, it's the crime. It's the crime, which is actually what they mean is, oh, it's the black people. So it really could loop all of this into just the basic uh, racism of the uh, of, of Trumpism in the, the far right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Did you know that every city is like an, a, an infernal hellscape? I was not aware of that. Yeah. The cities are on fire, according to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, look, uh, we have a special announcement or we have a special feature. Um, wait for it. Da, 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 da. <laughs> what does that mean? It's time for the emergency meeting. It's time for the emergency meeting, right? We have sound, I promise you guys sound effects. I promise the audience sound effects. We have sound effects, right? <laughs> this is the, uh, the signal for the emergency meeting. We're heading now into the emergency meeting. If you'd like to join us there, uh, please come and join us. You can get a Bantam membership, 60% off, and you can get all of our premium content, all of our members-only pieces. You can get access to the emergency meeting podcast. You get to support the banter. You become um, an angelic, wonderful human being. <laughs> uh, we'd love to see you there. We are going to be discussing this uh, it, insane story of a former senior FBI official in New York who oversaw some of the agency's most secret and sensitive counterintelligence investigations. He's been accused of taking money from a former Albanian intelligence employee and from a representative of Oleg V. Deripaska, a Russian oligarch. Um, this was He was basically being paid by the person he was supposed to be investigating. This We're going to be talking about that, and we're going to be talking about Russia collusion story, which apparently doesn't exist. It's all a fraud. It's all a fake. Um, it turns out not so much. So we are going to see you in the emergency meeting. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will be back next week. Have a good week. <laughs>